Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Welcome to this third installment of Diary of a Podcaster, celebrating individuals who celebrate national and international cinema via their podcast, among other things. As always, I'm your host, Jose Pusella, binge writer and eater of many things. But my latest lockdown binge food has been instant noodles. Just last night, I took a spicy broth induced deep dive down the ramen hole and learned that the father of the pre cooked packaged instant noodle was created by a Mr. Momofuku Ando on August 25th, 1958. So that's when he introduced this gloriously named chicken ramen. That's C H I C K I N. 13 years later, he would gift the world the cup of noodles. So, in my opinion, the greatest mic drop in pre packaged food history. Uh, so, from wherever you're tuning into this episode, Lift a cup of noodle in honor of the late, great Momofuku Andu. Rest in peace, sir. And now on with our irregularly scheduled program. Last week, I did a lockdown sit down with the very comical and knowledgeable Simon and Dan of the Screen Watching Podcast. This week, I'm chatting with an individual who is a board member of the Australian Film Critics Association, an experienced entertainment writer, film critic, and founding father of fakeshemp.net. And when he's not contributing to such media publications as Screen Rome, Stack Magazine, or Screen Horror Magazine, just to name a few, you can hear him and his cohort of co-hosts share insightful cinematic ramblings and film interviews via their film podcast, Good Movie Monday. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today, Glenn Cochran. Ah, g'day Jose, how are you mate? I've been down the the ramen hole many times. It's an enjoyable one. That um, (laughs) Do you have a preference, uh, chopsticks or fork? Oh, I'm not pretentious, mate. It's got to be a fork. And you know, <laughs> do you Lovely. prefer do you prefer the the you know the 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 Maggi style or do you prefer the no name sort of dollar brand? <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't discriminate. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll you know I'm eclectic. <laughs> Before I crack on, I'm just going to do some housekeeping. If you enjoyed our last episode as much as Simon and Dan enjoyed battling it for the title of the greatest diary of a crowdfunded film trivia slash genius, then champion our podcast by jumping onto our Facebook page or Twitter at Diary of a Crowd F1. Subscribe and reshare the episode so the momentum for this podcast and Heat's upcoming fourth film Christmas continues throughout the production's hiatus. So, Glenn, before we crack on, I wanted to know, who's your favourite of the Three Stooges? <laughs> it would have to be Shemp, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would, fair enough. And then, all right, let's open up a can of whoop, 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 ass and start into this look your bio on the oz critic website reads glenn was raised on a balanced diet of horror and family movies and is intellectually trapped in a 1980s cinescape i love that and i just wanted to know if you could elaborate further is there a preferred landscape cinematically from the 80s oh no not at all i mean (laughs) i think horror and children's films are just intrinsically intrinsically linked I, I believe they're the same kind of thing uh on a sort of intellectual sort of basis like you know what a, a family film provides kids you know in a developmental point of view perspective is kind of what horror offers adults you know just different ends of the spectrum and so i was as a kid just um i lapped up both um you know horror from a kid's point of view back then being you know your your gremlins and all that kind of stuff and yes i guess just my my cinema knowledge was formed during that era just being the generation i am so i could i'm just perpetually stuck in that (laughs) in that you know frame of mind I think it's a beautiful era to be stuck in. Um, I'm, I'm sure many other others would argue, but um, you know, I'm there. Right, I'm right there with you. I, I wanted to ask: Are you 
And are you a parent? Yeah, I've got two stepkids, but they are they are grown up. Are there any films that that you would have said, look, uh, this is like a dietary requirement for your development that uh, from the eighties <laughs> was essential? You know, if you had that, am I, had that opportunity? Am I allowed to curse on your show? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, fucking oath. Fucking oath, man. Like, yeah. I, I, um, I raised these kids, you know, they were fairly young when I came into their lives. So I've practically been their father, you know, their actual father for a long time. And, you know, I, I raised them on stuff I probably shouldn't have. But that was sort of uh, that's me reflecting my own childhood, you know, and projecting it onto them. And I'd like to say it didn't harm them, but, you know, you'd have to tap inside their heads to <laughs> figure that out. But I, I, I used cinema as a bit of a learning tool as well i kind of educated them just through historical films as well as yes. you know the horror films and and getting them to sort of giving them coping mechanisms through horror was a good thing you know it teaches you um just how to be uh, strong and how to deal with adversity and stuff like that in a very safe way and so i i, I used it in a very measured way firstly i think it's beautiful that you know you helped form and create a family and it would have been a very formative years i love it i think it's fantastic <laughs> um and the other thing when you're saying you know from an educational point of view and we can get into the quirks around that matthew eels had mentioned to me when i asked him look what kind of was the reasoning behind getting into what you were doing and he said look part of it was you know leaving a legacy for my son what can i teach him what can i uh leave him with and it was you know, all this knowledge um, and just love and passion for, in this case, you know, film, but that just transcends to any other art form or interest that you have. Hmm. Um, so can I ask, was there was there a particular film that uh, could have been used in a, as an equal measure where parents would say, you know, uh, I used to have this one that my mother would say, if you play with fire, uh, you know, you'll raise the devil. I never quite got that, but that's, so was it kind of like, you know, the boogeyman equivalent <laughs> that you would use? Oh, look, I mean, I was exposed to a lot of stuff from a very little age and I did have the benefit of, of parents that kind of wa walked me through it. You know, they sort of, if I yes. if I wasn't coping, they would hit pause and, and talk to me about it, you know, and explain what I'm frightened about is really just make-believe and this is how they did it. And it didn't take long before that really sort of stuck with me and I didn't need their guidance, you know, like this sort of... I, I, I sought out films that they wouldn't have approved of after that and just yes. watched them behind their backs. And But yeah, no, look, if there's any film, I'm trying to think. There's a lot of films that informed my love of genre and cinema, but and I tell the story a whole lot of times about Ghoulies and Nightmare on Elm Street 2 being fundamental. Um, you may have heard me talk about that. But if I actually think about it, stuff like um, Dead Calm and Lethal Weapon were movies I remember my parents having to pause and explain things to me. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other two, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and, and um, Ghoulies, I saw on my own and that had a whole different sort of, you know, residual <laughs> effect. <laughs> oh, no, that's awesome. We're going to, and we're going to get back to that kind of cinemascape. I wanted to just jump ahead that I was reading. You studied at Vancouver Film School and then RMIT in Melbourne. Yes. Um, when was that and why those two in particular? Okay, well, Vancouver Film School, that was a very brief stint. So I right. moved over to Vancouver with my family in 97, I think it was, 96, 97. And so I finished my high school years there. And uh, whilst doing that, 
I was really keen on working in film and being in Vancouver, it's, it was at the time known as Hollywood too. It was, you know, little Hollywood and every yes. production you can think of was in town. I, I did brief work experience, um, on X-Files and I would, you, if you were in Vancouver at the time, I assume it's the same now, you can drive anywhere at any given time and you'll find a movie set and you can just sort of go to it. And so my parents knew that passion was there and they, they sort of helped me sign up for some night courses while I was at high school. And, you know, so I started the, the film education there. Then by the time, you know, we came back to Melbourne, um, you know, straight into, you know, a part-time job and film school, which was RMIT. And now there was a time where Melbournians could catch you, you know, on any given day in a video rental store. Um, now, there might have been two, but there was one in particular that you managed for over a decade. I owned for um, over a decade. Sorry. Okay, that you owned. Yeah. Um, so when did you close up shop for that? Oh, that was going on five and a half years ago now. Sort of right. the, the industry obviously had its natural decline. We managed to hold on longer than most. And we were sort of one of the last two, I think it was, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. So the fact that when you're the last man standing, you, you can go a bit longer. The stamina is there. But at the end of the day, you know, the inevitable was the writing was on the wall. We had to close shop. But um, glorious days, like I miss it to this day. You know, there's something magical about you know, physical media going to get physical media, having to get off your ass, you know, don't have a menu on your television to scroll through. It feels yeah. so shallow and empty these days on the digital mediums. Um, and, the, and the variety on the television that you get now through all the streaming platforms is monotonous and bland and you know you scroll for half an hour and by the time you think you might want to watch something you just want to go to bed whereas back in the day you know there wasn't as much to choose from and therefore you you took the time to really um select indeed do you think let's say if money wasn't an option uh, or maybe you know even we'll start with that if money wasn't an option you'd want to you'd want to probably own and manage uh your own um, physical media <laughs> place again, or was that something that now nah, look? No, look, it's it's something I have contemplated. Like a, a fantasy in my head is to open sort of a boutique cinema that also offers a video library, so you can essentially walk in, choose a movie off the shelf, go into the cinema and watch it. You know, so yeah, that kind of thing, or as rentals. It's just it's you know, it's a it's a pipe dream. It's nothing that will ever come to fruition, but it's sort of you know the fantasy. If you know, if I won a, if one Tats Lotto. That's what I would do. You've got to have one. I love it. Look, so do you think, and because this is kind of me being wishful, but I'm asking <laughs> someone who, you know, has over a decade in experience with that industry and then given all the knowledge um, in terms of films and the access and interviews that you have, do you think that there may be a way for physical media to ever become part of the mainstream film diet again? Or is it just going to be relegated as an obsession for collectors? Yeah, I'd love to say it will, but I don't think it will. I, I can't see that happening. You know, people Rats. like us, <laughs> people like us. You know, we will collect. And um, I mean, for example, you know, Blu-ray as a as a medium, right, has not performed as well in the last two years as what a lot of people would think, because mm. 4K came along. Yes, and everyone sort of jumped onto that. So right now, it's DVD and 4K that that perform all the sales and, and, and Blu-ray gets lost in the middle. And what that says to me is that people are just constantly evolving, you know, and you got people buying DVDs because they're cheap. And then you got people buying 4K because of the quality. And I mm-hmm. just think that's that's where it's at. And 
will just eventually lose physical media entirely because the quality will just be all online. You know, there won't be a need yeah. for the physical product. You know, you won't be able to look at a case. You won't be able to hear the click when you open it. You won't be able to smell the new fresh plastic. You know, little things that actually make a difference, you know, yeah. psychologically. And Yeah, because it feels like the DVD is just basically going to become the, you know, the removed cousin of the LP. It's going to just become that and... Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I made you cry. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so, but you know what? Maybe. And speaking of crying, we may we'll see what we can get from yourself on this one. Look, do you recall the first film you saw in a cinema? Um, and does some part of that moment from the film you watched still kind of echo within you today? I remember almost every cinema experience I've had. Like I might not be able to pluck them out of thin air, but if you say a movie to me, I will remember yeah. seeing it and, and the circumstances. So my first one was definitely E.T. And that was at the, I think it was the Frankston or the Dandenong Cinemas. I think it was Frankston. And my vivid memory of that was laying on the carpet in front of the screen, right down the front, probably sticky carpet, and just looking up at this gigantic screen. That was my first experience in a cinema. I didn't know wow. televisions could get that big. <laughs> and I don't remember if the film terrified me. I don't think that one did. Um, I just was so in awe of the experience. And I wasn't running around like other kids. I was just laying there staring at the screen. And yeah, How, that stuck. Do you recall me. your age then? It was upon release. So what was it? I would have been like three. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe like, no tears. No, and at that time, like in those years, sort of there and abouts, I, I remember seeing Ghostbusters at the cinema. You know, I remember seeing Never Ending Story at the cinema and each and every one of those experiences, I can remember vividly, you know, yeah. how I reacted. And, and for example, uh, Never Ending Story, when Gmork the dog came out of the cave, I jumped up and hid behind the seat, you know, and I remember looking over it and coming back to my seat when it was all over with. And, you know, I just love all those memories and I chase them all the time. If you'll indulge me, I rarely, I try to make this show as little as possible for myself, but because we're talking about Never Ending Story, um, that's the <laughs> first film that I saw in a cinema. Um, and it's kind of like the before and after. And for me, I'll always recall, which I'm sure a lot of people associate, I was about six or seven. And that scene where Atreyu is just trying to pull Atrex out of that <laughs> swamp, this is kill. And I'm, I'm like, I think I was bawling my ass out. And oh, mate. that's it. I fell in love with cinema. <laughs> that moment was a meme before memes were a thing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yes, absolutely. I asked Matthew Eels um, of Cinema Australia this question, and his response was Chucky. So I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, what film most traumatized you as a child? Well, yeah, that goes back to the experience with Ghoulies and Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So I saw right. them back to back at a friend's house. I was very little. I would have been about six, I would say. And we, in the 80s, everybody lived on streets where everybody knew each other. Neighbors were actually neighbors, right? And so I remember being at a friend's house up the street um, and his older brother had a sleepover with his mates and they were watching Ghoulies and Nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was the first one, and the scene where Freddy is walking around the swimming pool, you know, running around on fire, that yes. image just terrified me, but I stuck with it. And then Ghoulies came on, and that was my problem. You know, Ghoulies came on, and the, the DVD, or sorry, the, the video cover had the tagline, they'll get you in the end, right? And so I took that literally, and I thought they were actually going to get me in the end, and I was too little to comprehend that. So I asked how long the movie had to go, and they said, <laughs> oh, probably 10 minutes. 
And this was a daytime double feature, right? With the curtains closed. And I'm like, 10 minutes? All right. And I just bolted for home. I ran home as fast as I could. And then it took me probably, it was maybe 15 years later, I actually watched Ghoulies again. You know, just because that that memory of They'll Get You in the End was just so deliciously sort of teasing me. Like, I didn't want to watch it because of that experience. And I wanted to hold on to that feeling. But eventually, obviously, being a horror fan, I had to get around to it. (laughs) I love it. The things that we create, what our mind, especially as a child, how we try to comprehend and you know obviously at that point you were thinking if i don't watch it until the end they can't get me <laughs> exactly right and and people i mean i do talk about that more often than i should on our show and um people ask me you know what it is about horror that i love and that's always me chasing that feeling i'm chasing that experience and trying to relive it but i never do nothing ever lives up to that experience but yeah. you know the feeling of trying to emulate it is fantastic Simon Foster's minute-by-minute breakdown would be Peter Sellers' The Party. Dan Barrett's passion project would be Point Break. And (laughs) Matthew Eel's filmic obsession is Altman Superman. Um, So based on everything we've discussed and your love for the 80s cinemascape, what would your minute-by-minute breakdown film be? Oh, that's interesting because I don't like looking at cinema that way. Okay, I, I like I this. Don't, I don't like deconstructing films and I don't like analysing them and that is evident if you ever read my reviews. So I quite often write or always write from an emotional point of view. So my reaction to film is the gut reaction I have and I don't care for structure. I don't care for, you know, whatever hidden meanings there are. If that comes out naturally in my emotional reaction, then that's fine. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I don't like... Because it, it, you lose the magic of cinema when you break it down and break it apart and you can, you can ruin films. I think, you know, from that point of view and no filmmaker wants their film to be deconstructed is the way I look at it. No, I completely respect that. I get that completely. Look, I wanted to jump to 2016. You hosted a series of videos for CBS interactive and Netflix (laughs) to promote the series, stranger things. How did that come about and who approached who for that endeavor? Well, they're they're a little bit embarrassing when you watch them back and no doubt some people listening are going to go and do that, which is okay. But (laughs) uh, yeah, so I had already started fakechamp.net and I was with the Australian Film Critics Association and um, CBS Interactive was based in Sydney and they'd been commissioned by Netflix to produce these um, promotional videos for online of Stranger Things, which no one had really heard of at the time. Absolutely. So... I think the Duffer brothers had made Wayward Pines and that was it. So this was their new thing. So no one knew it was going to be a phenomenon. And they essentially just went to the Australian Film Critics Association's website, went through the member profiles and thought that mine probably aligned most with what they were doing. And so they just contacted me and within maybe two and a half months, I'd scripted uh, three episodes. They flew me to Sydney to record them, which was the... It was a horrible experience for me because I was really thrust into that without a lot of prep. Even though I had those you know, months to script it, by the time we got there, there was no teleprompter for me and I hadn't memorized right. everything. And so they had to rush out, get a teleprompter. And you can see that in the videos. You can see me actually like nervous and reading the screen. And it was just a real whirlwind of experience, but it got a lot of attention for me, which was good because Stranger Things blew up and those videos went viral. Um and the the disappointing thing was that I was essentially commissioned to come back for the next season and do more, but the the show 
blew up so much that they just didn't have a need for it. Right. Like it was well, selling least, itself. Yeah. Hey, look, you were there at the forefront of of this before everyone, you know, before the Stranger Things phenomenon hit hit all yeah. of us. So that's fantastic <laughs> to at least be part of that, man. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's it's good to have in the in 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 sort of the archives, but it's not it's not something I go back and watch and look. You know, I'm not happy with them. They're, they're embarrassing. <laughs> but bringing me to something which is not embarrassing because it is a celebration of you know interviews, cinema, um, talent, and you know the group of people that you collaborate and put all this together um, is Good Movie Monday. Uh, the podcast and I wanted to know what led you into this medium and when did the idea for this podcast first germinate well that's interesting because it's it comes off the back of several podcasts right so I kind of have to 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 explain where it came from I don't know if you're going to touch upon it later but I kind of have to go into the history of sort of fakeshemp.net no definitely please do so fakeshemp.net was born from the video store I used to write a blog from the video store Um, it included like shithouse customer experiences and things like that, which um, which those um, have been put on ice because there, there may be a publication coming with those. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes. But other than that, there was like micro reviews and things like that. And a good friend of mine said, you know, you should do something with these. You should put them out there. So I started like a page on Facebook, just a, you know, Glenn's movie page, something like that. And it eventually the same friend said, no, like, archive them do a website and so i did and fakeshemp.net started and my first ever guest or interview was a guy called everett de roche who's a famous sort of australian genre writer he did um road road games and um patrick and frog dreaming he's like a staple name from the 80s razorback yes. right yeah yeah, yep. yeah okay yes yeah and he became something of a mentor to me because he, he sort of saw wow. my writing and he, he sort of told me well maybe if you did this maybe if you did that and he sort of guided me for the first six months. And sadly, he passed away sort of the second year into Fake Shemp. But I got to go to his funeral and I got to sort of, you know, be part of that world, which was really awesome. And from there, probably a year into the website, Jarrett Garn, who's with Monster Pictures now, came on board and we started a podcast, the FakeShemp.net podcast. And that was an interesting experience. We got some pretty good guests back then, but it was very DIY um tinny sounding you know it was just it was not a very good podcast the content was okay right. but the, the production wasn't that went for maybe three years it, it morphed into three of us doing it sean crawford was a writer for the website that came on board and from there um we took a small hiatus and came back with a new show um two new shows actually one was called franchised and we we spent about 20 or 30 episodes talking about franchises and we alternated that with another show called Rewind and Digress. And that was all about talking about an old film and then just digressing into random bullshit conversations. <laughs> and so those three podcasts were really formative because I knew I wanted to come back with you know more, but I yes. felt like we'd, we'd, we'd done everything we could do with those. So what can we do next? And I came up with the idea of doing a variety show. So I'm like, let's do a variety show. Present it like it's a morning program. Mm-hmm. And I did take a lot of inspiration from, I don't know if you know, there's a very famous um, YouTube show called Good Mythical Morning. No, and unfortunately with, I don't. With Rhett and Link. It's YouTube's highest um, rating show. It's been going for 20 years. And <laughs> wisely, I, this is a bit of a mistake on my part because wisely I chose Good Movie Monday as the name because I like the name. It, it does work and it sort of presents that that allure of a morning program. Yes. However, 
because they're good mythical morning, I can't use the hashtag GMM, right? Which oh. is, yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I really shot myself in the foot with that. So we've never used that hashtag. But all the same, we can still hashtag, you know, good movie Monday. Yeah. And so the, the, the concept was let's break it down and do segmented kind of podcasting. So we, we have a, a sort of a slate of presenters or contributors to the show. Two of us host it. And then we, you know, we talk for, you know, eight to 10 minutes and then we throw to a segment. So Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures presents our, um, our physical media update, lets you know what's coming out every week. Then we have Adam Ross, who's the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association. He comes in with a recommendation. Um, who else do we have? We have um, Guillermo Troncoso, who runs Screen Realm in Sydney, comes in with the movie news. Um right. Yeah, and, and we have an American crew called the Bonehead Weekly guys that, that come over and record a, a segment that's you know tied into our themes. So it's just a it's a big crockpot of um you know people from the film world that just talk movies, and every week we theme it. We usually have a guest, and we theme it around that guest. So that's the long answer. No, I love it. It's I'm glad that there was so much that you could feed into that out of that one question. It's brilliant. And it's a reflection, really, of the uh, collaboration between everyone on your team that goes into this. Um, but one of the things I really love is that, you know, you will also have, I think there's a, I don't know if it's once a week, you'll have like a lucky dip um, yes. segment, you know, and then there'll be, um, I, look, I, I love the way it's constructed and the way it's presented. Um, to me, sometimes it almost feels like... Uh, like if a podcast around film and then, you know, anything that's uh, media related could yep. become um, a, a show in itself. That's kind of what yeah. it feels like, you know. So let me, can I, can I elaborate on that? So to Please. give some context to, to people listening, um, what we've tried to do with it, we have the show itself, which is the Monday release, and it's a 90-minute show every single week. But what we like to do on top of that, we sort of go along the, the lines of imagine if we had a Patreon account. And you have additional content for people. But I yes. don't like the idea of making people pay for content. So instead of that, we just put this content out for free. So we do usually three videos per week. So one will be like a lucky dip where we just you know, record a video of us plucking out a name of a movie and then just talking about that. Um, it's a good it's a good little video we do. Then we do movie reactions. So Ben, who's my co-host, that's Ben Halwig. We go to a lot of media screenings, so we like to then record a video of us reacting to those movies. So mm-hmm. they go online. Um, and then I have a, a Wednesday night video I do with Chloe Ritchie, who's from another podcast called Movie Night with the Ritchie Girls. And we do an up late Wednesday night video at 10.30 where we just um, essentially shoot the shit over a cup of coffee and just talk about random stuff. And that's been a whole lot of fun. That's a 30-minute video. And then, of course, you know, if I have any celebrity interviews that have been done over video, I like to put them up as well and present yeah. them. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I really I really do enjoy it. And to anyone listening, I really hope you guys um, check it out because, again, this is about celebrating um, these individuals or groups that are so passionate about film and showcasing it in Australia, especially now given, you know, we've just lost another um, production due to lockdowns in Sydney. Um, which was, I think, meant to be Extraction 2, mm, uh, yeah. filmed by Chris um, Hemsworth. Um, so I, I still think, you know, the importance can't be understated for podcasters, journos, um, creatives in general, whatever the medium 
is I wanted to look how many episodes do you think you've released so far through the podcast? Because it's been running movie- for some time. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. So of Good Movie Monday, we're we're two seasons in, I guess. So I'd say uh, probably about fifty to sixty episodes. I have not been keeping count because we don't number them either. Fair enough. So we just look- we just name them. Yeah. So of the interviews that you've done, do you have a favorite moment um, that you connected with personally more than any other interview? Um, well, it's interesting because there's been such a kaleidoscope of guests. So we have some very big ones, but I kind of like the smaller ones, to be honest with yes. you. Like the ones with up-and-coming filmmakers because they're so much more enthusiastic and they, they're excited to be interviewed. So I recently... Um, interviewed a guy called Lawrence Fowler who made a movie called Jack in the Box and he was completely sort of enthusiastic to be talking about it. You know, he just couldn't believe that, you know, someone took an interest in his movie. Uh, There's another guy called John Wynn um, who made a film, which oh, I can't remember the name of it now. It was over a year ago. It's a it's sort of a medieval kind of movie. Um, something Hawk, anyway. But he also, you know, didn't expect a lot of attention and you know, the fact that someone from overseas was talking to him about this movie, he was just really thrilled and he gave a lot. So I like those smaller ones and I don't get starstruck. So the bigger ones, you know, sometimes they're a bit pretentious and I, I just don't right. like that, you know. And, <laughs> and you kind of so, feel like maybe they're phoning in, the, they're kind of like phoning in yeah, to a degree. Yeah, you can tell they don't want to be talking about it, that it's sort of, you know, they're contracted to or something like that. And yeah. If it's part of a Fair enough, junket, un- they've probably Sometimes they've had like they've probably done it a million times. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Um, look, what I wanted to do is before we close up shop for the evening, I, wanted, I hope you can indulge me and I wanted to play this game that... Um, I've just created and very likely to be the only time it's probably ever played called pitch your or bankroll. So it's a play on words to pitch your and roll, which are the three dimensions of movement when an object moves through a medium, but that's where the similarities stop at the name of the game. So how do you feel so far? Okay. Hang on, your silence is very reassuring. Uh- <laughs> no, I'm trying to get my head around it. Cause at first, when you said that, I'm thinking, is this a play on that whole, um, was it fuck, kill or marry? Is that that game? Well, no, no, no. Although I'd have to figure out how we do that. But no, this one is just... So the idea here is I'm going to purposely pitch pitiful movie ideas. Okay. Uh, and you can decide whether it's a your. Um, and I think okay. today I'll use the acronym you're a wanker. Um, ah, okay. Or, or bankroll, in which case I'll ask you the ticket price you'd be willing to pay to see this on the big screen. Now, okay. remember, they're meant to be pitiful movie ideas, um, and that's the mm-hmm. only guarantee that I can give you, <laughs> that okay. they'll be pitiful. <laughs> okay. Okay. Number one, armed with only one key for the duration of their tenancy, two divorcee house husbands must embark on a mission that will test the fabric of their trackies and unfold their reality like skid marks on white wife fronts before reality unfolds them. It's a retelling of the odd couple in a race against time scenario with Agent Smith as Felix and Bulky Bartokamus as Oscar. <laughs> Mate, you're a wanker. Um, <laughs> that's wasn't that already done. Bye bye, love. I think it was. <laughs> oh, look at that! Well, okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, don't turn. Yeah. Uh, number two. A retelling maybe, I should just, maybe, maybe, maybe I should just do don't or absolutely. I don't mind. That's what the your. So number two. Uh, a retelling of Turner and Hooch with Kit from Knight Rider and Herbie the Herbie the Lovebug as Hooch, told via Pinterest vignettes. Oh, I'll bankroll that. 
<laughs> See ya. They're, right. they're, both, they're both Disney properties. This could happen. <laughs> All right. So I have to ask then, what's the, uh, what are you willing to shill out at the cinemas to see that? Well, this is... I've got a better idea for the film, to be mm. honest with you. But but what would I? Um, Anything is better than this. <laughs> no, I'd um I'd go a VHS of Starman for that one. Okay, lovely. Oh, Starman, I like that. Okay, and the last one, um, a Shakespearean tale of spurned lovers told as a courtroom musical, starring the restitched cutoffs from Elmo as Steven Seagal and playing the role of the spurned lover Steven Seagal's actual ponytail. Rated F for follication. Uh, no, I, I don't care for that one at all. <laughs> so we've got Herbie the Lovebug and Kit from Night Rider remake of Turner and Hooch. <laughs> yes, well, can I? I've got a better story for that film. Yeah, though. please like, go ahead. Look, thank so, you for indulging me first of all on those. Oh <laughs> no, mate! Like, just don't give up the day job. But um, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, we recently put up a piece of trivia because that's another thing we do on our Instagram is put trivia out and stuff like that. Yes. And about um, I think ten years ago, they found the Herbie that was thrown off the side of the boat from um, Herbie Goes Bananas. That's still yes, off the plank. Actually, at, yeah, I saw that. So it's sitting at the bottom of the ocean. So raise the Herbie would be a better film. Like I would, would love be. to it see could that. Be- what and is it like a kind of a, a Titanic spin-off where Cameron takes his deep sea <laughs> <laughs> equipment yeah. and like <laughs> why not? I think that's maybe a much they, better version. Maybe they can put in a submergible tow truck and sort of, you know, drag it out of the ocean. Like there's a story <laughs> to be told. Look, man, I I really thank you for for really <laughs> indulging me and you know, just letting me go bonkers there. I want to give you the floor, um, just to kind of send any shout-outs or if you want to promote any upcoming events or news for your listeners or just listeners in general and again regarding Good Movie Monday. So it's all yours, mate. Well, thank you. Oh, look, just follow us on on all the social medias. Um, we do have a website. It's goodmoviemonday.com, which compiles everything we do. So all the interviews, all the videos, all the podcasts are all in one place. Um, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, we're on there. And, and fakeshemp.net, that's actually the umbrella website that, you know, Good Movie Monday is sort of taken on a life of its own, but good movie, um, fakeshamp.net is where it all stems from. So look them both up. Both websites have links to the other. So, yeah, just um, I appreciate anybody that you know gives a shit about what we do because we do put a lot of work into it. I certainly do, and I really hope that everyone, anyone else listening does the same. Um, look, thank you very much again for your time, Glenn. And um, look to everyone else, stay safe, and until next time. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film. Subscribe to hear all future episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. For more info, please visit Diary of a Crowdfunded Film on Facebook.